0: So according to a report from Brett McMurphy, Oregon and Washington have been, quote, vetted and cleared by the Big Ten. That does not mean that a move is imminent. Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome everybody to another episode of Locked On Pack 12 I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, or four, if you think that that's what we do here. And I'm fine with that. Frankly, those help as well. So this report came out that's got everybody in a little bit of a a tizzy that that says that Oregon and Washington have been vetted and cleared by, by the Big Ten. This does not mean that Oregon and Washington are about to be announced to the Big Ten. Because the economics of adding Oregon and Washington for the Big Ten have not changed in a dramatic way from July until now. It it has not, like, the, the ability of Oregon and Washington to, in the eyes of Big Ten presidents, and what do we say here on the show? Presidents vote on realignment, going to be on my gravestone when I die. That has not changed a whole heck of a lot. Now, the one caveat that I will provide there is if the PAC-12 were to feel that they're in a more, or the presidents of Oregon and Washington were to feel that being in the PAC-12 is a more tenuous place to be because they haven't been able to land a media rights deal yet now than it was a few months ago, okay, maybe that changes the uh, the, the dollar figure that Oregon and Washington would be willing to accept. But is it going to change it radically? I don't think so. Because if the Big Ten wanted to add Oregon and Washington, they could have done it at any point in time. They didn't, at least to this point as I record this show. And I think that if they had offered Oregon and Washington membership in the Big Ten and said, we're going to bring you in as 50% earning members compared to everybody else, yeah, Oregon and Washington would have gone, right? And I don't think that... You know, some some Pac 12 media rights pressure, supposed pressure, that is, driving down in theory the cost of Oregon and Washington, is what the Big Ten was waiting for to add either of these schools. Now, if we assume that the report is true, and as I've said many times, who knows nowadays, but I do think that this one makes a good deal of sense. Because if you're the Big Ten, this is you doing your due diligence and being prepared for any particular Moment. It's not that different, really, than the coaching carousel. So, think about this from a football or basketball standpoint. When you have an inclination that now or next year, a head coaching vacancy may become available, if you are an athletic director, when that coaching vacancy comes open, you already have in mind some people who you think could be qualified candidates to come and fill that particular role. So, you might go through internally and vet their resume and look at their their credentials and, and understand just how much value a particular coach could bring to a given role, right? Or you already have names on file. So how I read this report is that the Big Ten has looked at Oregon and Washingtons and said, okay, those are candidates we're going to go after if we end up having an opening here. Those are people that we are going to highly consider. It did not say that Oregon and Washington were going to be soon added to the Big Ten. It said that the Big Ten has looked at them and said, okay, we could justify adding them. Well, they could justify adding a number of schools. And I would be shocked, frankly, if Oregon and Washington were the only schools that the Big Ten has gone about internally processing and determining whether or not that would be a particularly valuable addition, whether it's someone that they would want to go after. Now, what this does, I I think, clearly say is that the Big Ten – is not ruling out expansion. They have said, like presidents have said in the last several weeks that it's not one of their priorities with their new commissioner, Tony Petiti, coming in there, who we talked about a while ago on the show with Nate Dickinson of Locked on Big Ten. And his perspective is that, yeah, Petiti's not a guy who's going to come in and ruffle feathers and come in for big, aggressive expansionist moves and whatnot. That's what Kevin Warren wanted to do and the Big Ten presidents, who are ultimately in charge here, kind of said, oh, okay, no, no, we're we're good for the time being. But what this does, I think, indicate is that if the Big Ten decides that they want to, and I have long stated this here on the show, if the Big Ten decides that they wanted to tank the Pac-12, they could do so at any time. I think Oregon and Washington would go. I think Stanford and Cal would go. And those would probably be the targets that the that the Big Ten would be after in the Pac-12 if they were going to go for more than two schools, if they were going to go for four. I don't think they'd go beyond that, but they're a 16-team conference right now. If they wanted to go for 20, maybe it could be the Pac-12. But I think that it's far more likely that this sort of stuff could happen in the future, as in after all this media rights and realignment stuff, which I'll talk about more in just a moment, kind of settles down for the time being, I think this is a preemptive move on that front. So think about USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. That got announced in July of 2022. When do we all think the Big Ten began thinking about the possibility of adding USC and UCLA? Do you think it was June of 2022? I'm going to go with no. Do you think it was May of 2022? I'm again going to go with no. These moves take a lot Of manpower to ultimately pull off and get approval for, it is not something that you think of on a whim, right? And the Pac-12, of course, was caught completely off guard. It's why they haven't announced any expansion teams because once they, you know, once they knew that USC and UCLA were leaving, they weren't expecting to add any more schools. And one of them that we know they they were looking at back in uh, the 2021 era, kind of around there, was Houston. And then the Big 12 ended up picking them up because the Big 12 knew sooner that they were going to need to add schools, which they did. So I think this is a do your due diligence, have their resumes on file, be prepared to interview them and know that they are potential top targets if they end up having an opening. I believe that's what the Big 10 is doing here. If they did truly vet and clear Oregon and Washington to join the Big Ten, which in more ways than one could be a, a worthwhile addition, right? You create more of a West Coast pod rather than just two schools that are uh, that are just kind of hanging out there. But I, I don't feel that that it's a move the Big Ten needs to make for sure. And I don't, I don't even get the sense it's a move the Big Ten wants to make right now. Could they make it one day? And is this indicative that they could be prepared for it at any time? Yes, absolutely. But my my suspicion is that with USC and UCLA they're going to let that play out for a few years they're going to work out all the logistical kings, and then they'll come back at a later time once realignment you know picks up steam again and you know the Big 12 and Pac 12 media deals are are closer to to coming to an end the ones that you know the Pac 12 one that of course doesn't exist yet the the Big 12 one that just got signed once that comes to a close then the Big Ten might decide. Okay, maybe we do want to go further into into expansion. Maybe we do want to have four to six schools out on uh, the West Coast and make it easier in some sense, and also just you know dominate as as much as we possibly can. So that's how I feel about uh, that that particular announcement. So uh, Ross Dellinger had a uh, killer piece in Sports Illustrated. It was really really good. He makes one particularly important point on realignment that we'll get to after I make a really, really important point, and that's that Built Bars are amazing. So if you want a delicious snack, but you don't want all the sugar and calories, you need the best tasting protein bar ever. Those would be Built Bars. I legitimately did not eat protein bars before Built. Now I've got them in my golf bag in my pantry at all times. They're healthy, they taste amazing, and they're covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. Bunch of great flavors too. Mint brownie's my favorite. They've got churro, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, only 130 calories and four grams of sugar to go with 17 grams of protein. They're delicious. They're filling everything that you want in a protein bar. You can go to built.com, get your specialty flavors or go to your local Walmart, get a four box of cookies and cream in the pharmacy section. You can also get a Sam's. go to Sam's Club, get a 13 bar box in there with hip flavors, brownie batter puff and churro puff. Do so and you can thank me later. All right, so this piece from Ross Dellinger. He uh, wrote for, uh, I don't know if he writes for, but he wrote it in Sports Illustrated. That's where I uh, read it. The crux of the article, I thought was spot on, absolutely positively spot on. And it kind of piggybacks off of what I was talking about in the first segment of of today's show. Everything realignment wise doesn't get the sense that it's all going to just settle down after this round comes to a close, right? You've got the big 12 with their deal set through 2030, but they were teetering for a while. You've got the Pac-12 still looking for a media deal. And whatever deal they are able to sign, I suspect, and many others do as well, it'll be kind of in the five to six year range. Everything on realignment feels like it is a, a stopgap, like it is you know, a, a temporary solution of sorts but that in 10 years, right? The big 12 deal, I believe is a, a seven year extension of their previous deal, runs through 2030, 31. So around that time, like within the next 10 years, we are going to see more realignment, right? Notre Dame is still hanging out there. And I've you know discussed here on the show, if the big 10 goes after Notre Dame, which it's been reported that they want them, but Notre Dame wants to stay independent and whatnot. If the big 10 goes after Notre Dame and gets them, I think they could come for Stanford out of the Pac-12, but potentially nobody else. And that would be a fascinating situation. There are a lot of different ways that this could all play out. But the fundamental message here from Dellinger, I thought was absolutely correct that this is all kind of stopgap moves. They're in survival mode. The Pac-12 is uh, on that front. The Big 12 certainly was adding the schools, extending the deal, right? Brett Yormark went for Uh, uh, the the quickest remedy possible to ensure stability and security for the conference. And they know what they're going to have for the next seven years or so. And and that's kind of how everything feels. Now the ACC, right. It gets really tricky in there because they've got the grant of rights and the deals locked in through 2036. And can you get out of it? Can you not get out of it? Uh, Where would those schools potentially go Would the sec take them? Maybe probably, I don't know, but I I think that he's absolutely right. Once all this stuff, like let's say at the end of May, uh, the, the Pac-12 media deal finally materializes. Once that happens, realignment speculation discussion—it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere because none of this feels incredibly long-term, except the ACC media rights deal, of course. So, I think I think he was spot on about that. And another thing that he mentioned in there with regards to the Pac-12 is, you know, as we've said for a long time here on the show, San Diego State, SMU, those are your top options. But the, the deadline for adding those schools. Maybe not for SMU, but you're going to add them together. So kind of by default SMU. And I also believe the conference uh, notification rules for departing are the same. By July 1st, it's July 1st or uh, June 30th, basically, San Diego State has to notify the Mountain West that they are leaving. And and there's, you know, there have been reports that I, I, I tend to believe because they make a whole heck of a lot of sense that San Diego State, has talked with the Big 12. But the other thing Dellinger pointed out, and he reported that as well, is that San Diego State would like to go into the Pac-12, another thing that we've uh, discussed here on the show previously, and that they're waiting to see what that deal ends up being. But if you want to talk about, you know, we've we've mentioned the soft deadlines, and I'm done trying to speculate when that deal will be done. But this is a non-speculative component of the next Pac-12 media rights deal. If you're going to have San Diego State as a part of it, you have to have them, capable of notifying the mountain West by, by June 30th, that June 30th, July 1st, whatever, like that, that, that timeline that they're going to leave the mountain West, because if they were to announce later, it would cost them tens of millions of dollars more and coming from the mountain West. Yes. They have a decent amount of money, but that's still not money that they want to just be, you know, footing the bill for. So if the PAC 12 cannot get this thing together, San Diego state will I think go over to the big 12 and the big 12 would certainly want them for a number of reasons. Number one, the big 12 loves basketball and San Diego state just got to the national championship game. And number two, they'd be the first West coast time zone team for, for the big 12. And I think that's something that Brett Yormark has said that he would like and and makes a lot of sense if you're operating in this modern uh, media rights landscape and whatnot. So the other thing too, on, on that timeline is that they have to have everything finalized by then. I would imagine that the process of notifying the conference and, and getting everybody on the same page and making the announcement, committing to the deal, signing the grant of rights and everything would have to start before then. So Klyovkov, I don't think, and, and company and the presidents don't have until June 29th to figure that stuff out. But that is the that is the hard deadline that that we're looking at here. That would be the most concerned I've ever been if we're not there, but again, I, I don't suspect that that'll be the case, and we'll we'll see how it all plays out. But that that is the that is the actual you know we talked about presidents saying oh I expect it's in its final stage it's going to be done by here there there you know yeah all that sort of stuff which uh, got got pretty exhausting and whatnot. But June thirtieth is the hard deadline of yeah okay if you haven't allowed San Diego State to announce by this time they will go to the Big Twelve. And San Diego State, one way or another, they made it very clear. They want to go to the Pac-12, but if they're forced to, they would go to the Big 12. So Pac-12 needs to not drop the ball on that one. Okay, let's talk about some football here. So I was recently accused, very, very hurtfully, by the way, of not sufficiently giving credit where credit is due for Arizona and the rebuild that Jed Fish has been putting together down there in Tucson for the last couple of seasons. He enters year three at the helm, and Arizona's win total is 4 and a half, a four and a half win total in Vegas. I thought it was a touch low, which is curious. Makes me think Vegas knows something I don't know, but I think that win total is uh is quite intriguing for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's too higher than what Fandle thought they were going to be able to achieve previously when their over-under win total was two and a half. And I came hunter, came here on the show and said, Yeah, Arizona. And uh, Oregon State, those would be uh, the easiest overs in the conference. And, indeed, both of those did, in fact, hit. So Arizona's schedule is as follows. They open with NAU. Then they go at Mississippi State. They get UTEP at home. They go at Stanford. Then they host Washington. Then, tough road stretch here, at USC, at Washington State. Then they have their bye. Well-placed bye, though. Like, two, two road games in there. Well placed buy for Arizona. You never want to have the early buy. DK Metcalf of the uh, of uh, of the Seahawks, my beloved NFL team, uh, commented openly on an Instagram post about the Seahawks' schedule that a Week Five buy was quote not it. Uh, I think is what he said, but basically he was harping on like, dude, nobody wants a buy in Week Five. You're not tired by then. But Arizona will be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games in off back to back road games. Then they get a buy, come back home. Two home games against Oregon State and UCLA before they go at Colorado, host Utah, and then play at Arizona State in that duel down in the desert. So I i, I lean I lean towards the over here on Arizona, which, by the way, if you didn't know, had one of the most productive offenses led by Jane Delora, Tetaroa McMillan, and Jacob Cowling, who are all back for Arizona in 2023. They are all there. And they had one of the most productive passing offenses in the country. The run game came and went a bit. The defense was never really there. But this is a team that was a 5-7 and football team a year ago. Vegas didn't think they were going to get to that number, certainly. I thought they would be at at least three, maybe four. They ended up getting to five, pulling that big upset of UCLA. But I look at the schedule here, and I say, boy, you got a number of things going for you. Number one, you play three... Uh, of the teams that uh, have an eight and a half win total or higher, you play three of them on your home field. Now it's not easy that you're having to play four of the six, but you're going to play a good amount of them and you don't have to play six out of the six. So that's a benefit. Number one, number two, you get Oregon state and UCLA at home in back to back weeks. I wonder off a of bye after the two road games between Oregon state and and UCLA. Can Arizona win one of those games? I think if they can find a way to win one of those and go at least two and one, which they should be able to do in, in their non-conference slate, I think Arizona is an intriguing over bet here. So the, the other good news for, for Arizona's schedule here is, is the way conference play begins for them. You start with a winnable game that, granted, is on the road, but you're going to be playing a Stanford team that I am predicting to be the worst in the Pac-12 this year. So before you play a tough Washington team at home, my apologies—they play five of, uh, of of the top six win total teams in the conference. The one that they don't play on here is uh, is Oregon, which is certainly good news. Like, would you rather play Oregon State or Oregon? Probably Oregon State by a little, but not, I mean not by a lot, but certainly by a little. And Oregon State, you get them at home as well. So you start with a winnable conference game. Like I look at this, and if you if you think Arizona is a solid overbet, which I'm kind of leaning towards as as I <laughs> as I go deeper and deeper into this segment, you start with a winnable Pac-12 game. You've got NAU and UTEP on there. Those games are at home, those games should be wins. I could see a 3 and one start here for Arizona. I really could. Now, is it going to get tougher after that? Yeah, you play Washington at home, USC, Washington State. That could be 0-3. A- absolutely could be 0-3. But then coming down the stretch, Arizona State is not going to be that good this year. Colorado is not going to be that good. They'll be tough to play at Folsom Field because they have a great home field advantage there, and they're improved from a season ago, but that's a winnable game. And then I just look at that stretch. Three of your final five games are at home. Oregon State, UCLA, Utah, tough games. Absolutely. Can you win one of them? Because if you can win one of them, for Arizona to go over four and a half, you just need one other win somewhere. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's very intriguing. Now, the road games that are really not that bad, like their, their toughest road game is definitely at USC. Their next toughest road game is the non-conference game against Mississippi state, but USC is not that tough of an environment. They're just really, really tough as a team. Uh, I don't expect Arizona to be able to go in there and win Washington state tougher environment, not as tough of a team. I think that's also kind of one of those pivot points as to where their season ends up being what their win total ends up being is can they win three of these road games? They've they've got six road games in total and six home games. Can you go three and three on the road? I I think two and four is far more likely and feasible, but I think you can win against Stanford. I think between Colorado and Arizona State, you can certainly get one, maybe two. Can you win that game at Washington State? Maybe. The Cougars are... A little bit of a mystery box this year. They've got a lot of intriguing and uh, and positive elements. I like the Ben Arbuckle hire from Western Kentucky. You got Cam Ward back for sure, but they haven't been hitting a bunch of home runs in the portal. Arizona has done that more so more so. So I think they've got a good chance for a two and one start. You don't have to play Oregon, and your road games are just not that bad. You get a lot of the tough teams at home. Four of the five for the Pac-12 teams. I need to come up with a term for them. Uh, contenders, frankly, is is what uh, is, is what they should be referred to as. But that seems, you know, too simple. I might have to think on that. But of the five contenders that you play, you get four of them at home. That's a big, big win for the Wildcats. So I, I would lean them much more likely to go over four and a half than than under. And I I think you just got a couple breaks in there. Now the the bad news here is because you're in the South, you only get to play one of the Bay area schools. So that removes a winnable game. But then on the flip side, you get to play Colorado, you got Arizona state. So it's not, it's not all bad, but having Oregon state, Washington, UCLA, and Utah all at home. I, I think that's, I think that's big time. Now, The question I I think will come down to in a game like Washington State or Colorado, Arizona State, um, I don't think Stanford, I think Arizona is a better team. I think they win that game and probably start the year uh, three and one. The way in which Arizona goes over four and a half wins is that the defense improves from a year ago. Like offensively, I know you don't have Dorian Singer. I still expect a high level of production. You got a quarterback who we know can win games and produce. You got two really good receiving targets. You got some solid running backs, but it's the defense that has to take a step forward, right? So under Johnny Nance in year two, I think that's something that they're capable of doing. And they've added some pretty solid pieces, right? You bring in Justin Flo from Oregon, who was a big time recruit, didn't live up to it when when he was in Eugene, but still has some potential and certainly physically, you know, even after an injury is not the exact same player that he was previously when he was coming out of high school, but is still, I think, an above average power five capable athlete at the linebacker position and not the sort of guy Arizona's had a lot of in the last several years. But you bring in Justin Flo, you bring in Daniel Haimuli at linebackers at linebacker, and you bring in four transfers along the defensive line who came from power five schools. If you get growth defensively here, like if you told me right now, Arizona's defense is just like 20% better than it was a year ago when it was pretty bad. I mean, they let Cal, of all teams, go for, I think it was 49 points in in Berkeley a season ago. If you told me they're just like 20 to 30% better, not radically shifting things, but just like taking a step forward, I'd say this is a great overbet to go over four and a half. I think that win total is a little low. I thought it would be at least five, maybe five and a half, but I think there are a lot of manageable components there for Arizona. If you got questions on schedules, whichever team it is, by all means, let me know on the YouTube comment section or on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12 Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.